Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. if you've ever been given a tough job that you felt was impossible to achieve. I remember when I moved back to Tassie uh, in my new job as the Youth and Young Adult Minister, a church over on the Western Shore, and my rector said to me, hey, we've just built this cool new building and I had this great idea that we'd have this huge concert and that the week before we have this huge concert, uh, we'd run a battle of the bands, uh, which would fill the hall up with uh, teenagers and the winning band would get to be the support act to this famous person we've got coming for this concert. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a cool idea. It's pretty soon, what do you want me to do about it? He's like, I'll organise the whole thing. Uh, and uh, so off I went, uh, organising uh, this battle of the bands, which I think we managed to make happen relatively successfully in the end. But my goodness, uh, it felt like an impossible task pretty much until it was over. Well, uh, I wonder how it is that you've felt as we've been looking at our convictions. And I I think for me, one of the standout things from that series has been how uh, we have this main thing that we do as a church, which is to make disciples. Not uh, any of the other things that can so often Uh, seem to take up all our time and effort and energy. Uh, This one job is the main thing and the thing we ought to focus uh, our efforts and energy on, being a disciple-making institution, being disciples who make disciples. And I wonder, as, as, as you sort of have been reflecting on that, maybe you felt like that's mission impossible. How could I possibly contribute to that in any meaningful way? Well, if that is how you feel, I suspect you might be in good company because uh, the 72 uh, disciples who Jesus sends out on mission in Luke's Gospel in chapter 10 that we've read this morning, uh, no doubt felt a little overwhelmed, a little bit like, what is this guy asking me to do? I mean, uh, they had experienced some highs. These, we assume these 72 have been kind of following Jesus around. Uh, and in chapter 9, they've seen um, Jesus do some pretty uh, amazing stuff. They would have heard the 12 disciples come back from their uh, mission that Jesus sent them on at the start of chapter 9. And uh, they came back and told how they were able to preach the good news and they were able to uh, heal people. Uh, They've seen Jesus do his own miraculous things. Uh, In chapter 9 we read about uh, the feeding of the 5,000 from a few loaves and fishes and we read of his healing of a demon-possessed boy. We see uh, Peter's declaration of faith that he thinks Jesus is the Messiah and, of course, the transfiguration as well where some of the disciples have gone and actually sort of seen the glory of God in in the person of Jesus Christ and and got some sort of picture into who this man is, really, who's standing before them. There's been lots of positive stuff happening for the disciples and no doubt the 72 who've been following around, but there's been some lows too. In chapter 9, 
Jesus predicts his death twice. He talks about suffering. They experience opposition from the Samaritan towns. And Jesus uh, teaches right before chapter 10 about the costly nature of discipleship. He says in chapter 9, verse 58, foxes, and dens have, uh, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He says to the man who wants to follow him but wants to bury his father, let the dead bury their own dead, uh, verse 60, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 62, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This discipleship that Jesus is calling to, this mission is all-encompassing, extremely costly, not without reward, they're serving the, the, the Son of God after all, but incredibly difficult. As the 72 are sent on mission, Jesus reminds them of that, doesn't he? He says, you're going to go, but don't take anything with you and be prepared for people to reject you. As Jesus sends the 72, I wonder if you, uh, as you heard Anthony read that this morning, uh, noticed how just even in this little section we see the, the, the convictions that we spent the last five weeks talking about at work. Jesus Christ giving authority to his disciples to go and make disciples, to do that by the proclaiming of the word, uh, by prayer. He tells them to pray for help uh, through acts of service. I, think I take that in this particular instance to be those acts of healing that they would have brought with them. Uh, uh, he tells them to trust God to provide for them in each town and place that they go. We see, don't we, that those convictions are, are, are soaked throughout the scripture. But of course, we're not in a series on our convictions. I don't want to uh, major on those things. I want us to just take a, a kind of overview look at this sending of the 72 and their return and notice a few things. There are four things I think we see as we reflect on this passage today. First is that God is sovereign and Jesus is central. Next, we see that disciples serve God independence, trusting or resting on his provision. Thirdly, that the stakes in the gospel message are high. And fourthly, that the most important thing and the most wonderful blessing in this life, uh, in, in the world, is life with God or salvation. So let's have a look and see how these things unfold as the story of the sending of the 72 unfolds. Firstly, we see that God is sovereign and Jesus is central. Obviously, it is Jesus who sends the 72 he sends them out to proclaim peace, verse 5, uh, to heal the sick, verse 9, and to proclaim the kingdom of God in verse 9 as well. That is the good news about who? About Jesus. The kingdom of God has come near. Why? Because Jesus is here. And what's interesting to note as uh, they go is as they go and as they come to place to place, they're, they're, they're told, I think, to rely on God's sovereignty. That is, they're not told to go and make sure that as many people welcome them as possible by being as well presented as they can be and as least of a burden as they can be. Jesus doesn't say, make sure you take everything you need and you go to these people and you learn um, what's going to make them more predisposed to welcoming you into their homes and you do all of these sorts of things. He just simply says, go with the message and God will provide. 
And God will cause those who want to receive you to receive you. When you proclaim peace, they'll welcome you and they'll provide for you. They're told to go with God's message about Jesus and simply see how people respond, trusting in the sovereignty of God. They're told to go and trust that those whom God opens the heart of, they will be able to preach his word too. And they're told that to those who are not open, they are to shake the dust off their feet to move on from. And I think there's uh, something worth thinking about as we see this command of Jesus to uh, keep the centrality, Jesus central and trust in the sovereignty of God as we go about our mission because uh, oftentimes don't we can spend a lot of time knocking on the same doors at the expense of others. Time after time we keep getting rejected and yet we go back. And Now sometimes that's the absolutely the right thing to do. If God has placed you... Uh, in a family and there are unbelievers, I don't think you just cut your family off. But as we think about who we're called to uh, as a church and as a people and who our neighbours are and who the people are uh, that God has placed in front of us, I wonder if sometimes we miss out on opportunities to share the gospel because we sort of think we've got our three friends that we're praying for and, and that's kind of all we ever do. We fail to trust the sovereignty of God and look for those people of peace whom God might have caused to be receptive to his message. Let me take the church I used to work at in Melbourne as an example of this. uh, Holy Trinity Doncaster in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. They recently celebrated 20 years of ministry to Chinese people. If you know anything about Melbourne, uh, Doncaster is just north of Box Hill, And if you've been reading the paper in the last week or so, Box Hill is in the news because the police station there uh, on uh, National Chinese Day, whenever that was, last week or the week before, uh, the police station in Box Hill flew the Chinese flag. And the reason they did that is because, like, everyone there is from China, basically. And, like, it's literally, as a a little Tasmanian who moved to the big bad mainland uh, and rocked up in Doncaster... I, I couldn't get over uh, all the Chinese writing that was on all the shops that I didn't know what they sold. Um, but that, that's, what, that's what this place is like. It is full of people who have moved to Australia from China. And 20 years ago, uh, the minister at the time, Paul Barker, who you might remember when he preached here earlier this year, realised that this was an opportunity for new mission. Now, Holy Trinity Doncaster is a very old church. It's been in Doncaster for a very long time and the people whom it was serving were the children of the farmers who had sold their farms for the suburb to be built and the people who had bought the farm, the the developed suburb off the developers. That's kind of who went there. It was a church that had done a a lot of good and healthy ministry to the same group of people and it wasn't seen heaps and heaps of fruit. And as they looked at their community, they go, you know, we've been knocking on the same door a long, long time. Let's try this. They invested in their Chinese ministry and when they celebrated their 20-year anniversary last year, they counted some 1,000 new believers who had been baptised through the ministry of the Chinese church in 20 years. Isn't that amazing? 
I think that's a good example of what it looks like to prayerfully trust God's sovereignty and seek to be strategic in ministry. Who is it that God is placing around us that we just might not even know exists because we've been so focused on the same old, same old? Who is God calling us to? Because if we believe he is sovereign and in control and we take the message of Jesus, then we will bear much fruit. God is sovereign, Jesus is central, and we are called to serve him, that is God, depending on him and trusting his provision. I don't want to say too much about this because I said a lot about it last week and I encourage you to listen to that sermon online. But notice that as Jesus sends them out, verse 4, he says, take nothing and trust me. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Instead, trust that people will provide for you. Verse 7, when someone welcomes you, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Jesus calls the disciples as they go on mission to trust him, that he'll provide what is needed. There's so much more I could say, but I really feel it was well said uh, last week. So let us continue. God is sovereign. Jesus is central. We need to trust him to provide for us in our mission. Next, we see as they go on mission, the stakes are high. Look at what Jesus says. I'll just reread to you again from verses 10 through to 16. When you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than it is for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. For those who reject the message of Jesus' messengers, a terrible fate awaits them, says Jesus. Their fate will be worse than that of Sodom and Tyre and Sidon. Just, let's just take Sodom as an example. You read Genesis 19, and for the sin and rejection of God and his people uh, that Sodom and Gomorrah did, what does he do? The Lord God, we read in verses 23 to 25 of chapter 19 of Genesis, rains down burning sulphur and destroys all who lived and all their vegetation. That's pretty bad. Like sulphur from the sky and you all die. And all your plants die too. Well, it's going to be worse than that, says Jesus, for those places that reject his message, the message that he has come near, that he brings salvation. Rejection of Jesus brings judgment and death. You will go down to Hades, the land of the dead. Some translations uh, decide to write hell there, and I think they're right. Rejection of Jesus 
leads to death and hell. His acceptance leads to life and eternity with him. And when we remember this, that the stakes are this high, life and death, it ought to make us mourn for those we know and love who don't know Jesus and who have rejected him. It ought to motivate us to prayer that God in his sovereignty would open their hearts and soften them so that they might receive the message. It ought to motivate us to be willing to give, it up, give up everything, including good relations with those whom we love for the sake of their salvation. Too often, we minimise in our minds the fate of those who fail to trust in him because we just can't bear the thought. But the thought is real. The Bible speaks of it constantly. That rejecting him has consequences. Life and death are on the line when it comes to the message that we have. So trusting in God's sovereignty and in his ability to provide for us, knowing the stakes are high, we go, we tell others, and we remember that there is nothing more important or more wonderful than this salvation that we have, this life with God. Uh, Look at what happens when the disciples get back from their mission trip, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. You can imagine, isn't it? They've come back from their trip and they get to Jesus. They go, whoa, Jesus, this is so cool. Like we, we told the demons to do stuff in your name and they had to do it. How cool is this? What power we have? What privilege we have? And how does Jesus respond to their joy at their new sort of found demon-busting powers? Well, look at verses 18 to 20. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says, yes, it's cool. It's wonderful that Satan has fallen from heaven and that my name uh, gives you authority over the demons. But that's not what you should be excited about. Rather, be excited and, and rejoice about the fact that you are saved that your names are written in heaven. As Daryl Bock says when he reflects on this passage, ministry with God is a privilege and access to God's power is exciting. But the real cause of joy is that we have a true and everlasting life before God. Don't sell your salvation short. For this is indeed the deepest and the truest source of joy that any of us can behold. I think often we think, oh, I wish I could see more miracles. Then I'd be excited about what God is doing. Or I wish I could see um, 
uh, more people come to faith, then I'd be excited about what God is doing. And all those things would be exciting, wouldn't they? But Jesus says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There is the the centre of everlasting joy because it's what's going to give you everlasting joy. Your salvation. And in fact, our reading finishes off by reminding us of just how good salvation is for from verses 21 to 24, Jesus is basically saying that those of us who are are saved through faith in Christ know what it is that the prophets and the kings looked forward to. They long to see how it is that God would save us and we know it's through the wonderful work of Christ, the Messiah who brings salvation. Don't sell your salvation short. It is the best thing that there can ever be. It has saved you from a terrible fate. Because if you reject the salvation that God gives, you get judgment. But if you receive it, you can rightly rejoice. God is sovereign. Jesus is central. We serve God in dependence, resting on his provision. The stakes are high. Life and death. And the best and most important thing in the world is our salvation, our life with God. It may seem like mission impossible. Bringing the message of salvation to our world in 2019. I did a quiz this week on the ABC's website about life in Australia and how typical I am compared to your average Australian. And sometimes I'm reasonably typical and sometimes I'm not. But when it comes to religion, 50% of Australians, according to this survey, think religion has absolutely no significance in their life. They see no need for God. 50%. I was, I was staggered. Now, you, if you rephrase the question, maybe a few more might think spirituality is important. Who knows? But there's a whole bunch of people who think the whole religion game is, is pointless. And we know it's actually life or death. How will we convince these people? Well, we never will. But we can sure as hell pray hard and seek God. Seek his work in our lives and go and see what doors he opens so that God may bring his salvation, his life to many more. I hope you'll join me in praying that God will grow our church with new believers who are overjoyed at finding salvation through Jesus Christ. And I hope you and I will share their joy and be reminded of the wonderful thing it is to be saved by faith in Christ. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church. 
www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.